Good evening. Good to see you. We've been thinking about prayer over a number of weeks uh, throughout this uh, autumn so far. And just a reminder, maybe something to to spark off a memory for you of the the last few weeks and, and what you learned and something that God has used in your life. We began a few weeks ago by thinking about simple prayer. And that is a kind of praying where we simply pray what's on our mind with all the filters switched off. Allowing it to come out whether it sounds good or not. Simply telling God what's on our hearts. A great place to start if we haven't been praying for a while. Just say it like it is. Then we moved on to ordinary prayer. And that's a type of praying where we recognize that absolutely nothing in our lives is beyond God's interest. Uh, There's something that niggles away in us, I think, when we start to pray about ordinary, everyday things because we think God doesn't care about that or it's not spiritual enough. But we pray about our kids' behavior in the aisle in Tesco because we believe that God cares about our kids' behavior and that the aisle in Tesco is not beyond the range of his sovereign power. Ordinary prayer. And last week we began to think about praying beyond ourselves, praying for other people, intercessory prayer. And I shared with you uh, an introductory quote which I just found wonderful. If we truly love people, we will desire for them more than it's within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. This evening we're going to look at a fourth type of prayer. And I don't know whether this maybe will be the most important of the four so far for you. It's the prayer of people who have no sense at all that God hears them. The prayer of people who wonder if God is really there at all. The prayer of the forsaken, we'll call it. There's no more heartfelt cry in the the whole of Scripture than Jesus' cry from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, Jesus' experience in that moment on the cross is entirely unique, and I want to be clear about that. It's unrepeatable in that he's carrying the sins of the world in that moment. His experience is unique, but his prayer isn't. He's simply praying a prayer from the the prayer book of Israel. He's quoting Psalm 22. Many people before him have prayed just this prayer. If we really long to have fellowship with the living God, then the time will come for any one of us when this will have to be our prayer. The prayer of the forsaken. Richard Foster says, Times of seeming desertion and absence and abandonment appear to be universal among those who have walked this path of faith before us. We might as well just get used to the idea that sooner or later we too 
will know what it means to feel forsaken by God. I'm guessing that what I've said so far is unsettling some people who've maybe never contemplated this, but maybe comforting for others who've known this experience and are glad to see it validated in Scripture. The old writers, they talked about this reality as Deus absconditus, the God who is hidden. And I think if we, even if we've never thought about this very much before, if we begin to, we, we might just recognize what we're talking about here this evening. Have you ever tried to pray and felt nothing, sensed nothing, seen nothing? Has it ever seemed as if your prayer just bounced off the ceiling of the, whatever room you're in and just flew around the walls going nowhere? Have there ever been times when you've desperately needed a word of assurance from, from the Lord, some sense of his presence, some sense of closeness, and you get nothing? Sometimes God does seem hidden from us, and, and we generally go on doing everything that we know how to do. We pray, and we serve in the church, and we worship, and we live as faithfully as we can. We do what we know how to do, and still there's nothing. It feels as if we're beating on heaven's doors with bruised knuckles in the dark, uh, as George Buttrick, an, an American pastor, puts it. I'm sure you understand here that whenever I talk about the absence of God, I'm not talking about the true absence of God, but a sense of God's absence. God's always with us. His presence is everywhere. The, the Bible teaches us that even if we didn't want that to be the case, it would still be the case. We can't escape the presence of the living God. We know that theologically, but there seem to be times when he withdraws from us the sense of his presence. Those experiences of abandonment, of desertion, they have come and will come to all of us. What, what can we say in, in those times? Very quickly, three things. The first thing that we say when we feel God forsaken is that we're not alone. We might be made to feel alone, in a happy, clappy church culture. Uh, we might be fed, made to feel alone with people who, who can't be honest with us uh, about their own heartache and their own brokenness. But many have traveled this road before us. Moses, I don't know if you have any grasp of the, the length of, of the biblical narrative of his life, but from when he left uh, Egypt to to spend time in the, in the desert in Midian. He was there for decades. No, no record of God saying anything very much to him until finally the burning bush. Think of the psalmist we've just read here in verse 1 of Psalm 42. Why have you forsaken me? Think of Mary standing on Golgotha watching her lovely son dying. The sense of desertion. And think of Jesus himself. My God, my God, why? 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 
if you read the history of the church down through the centuries, this, this absence of God's always been recognized. St. John of the Cross, he talked about it in terms of the dark night of the soul. An English writer, Anonymous, called it the, the cloud of the unknowing. Jean-Pierre de Cassaud called it the dark night of faith. If you are knowing the absence of God, rest assured you're in, in the company of God's people. I think it's really important that we understand this. Experiencing God forsakenness doesn't mean that God's displeased with you. Do you hear that? It doesn't mean that we've grown insensitive to God's work. It doesn't mean that we've committed some horrendous sin or that there's anything wrong with us or, or anything. Ironically, there, there are ways in which a sense of God forsakenness is an indicator of spiritual health. It says that I'm the kind of person who misses the presence of the living God in my life. I've known his presence in the past. I long for it in the present and in the future, and I miss him. Any of us who take seriously a life with God ought to expect periods of God forsakenness. So we're not alone in these experiences. Another thing to say is that our journey with God is our own. We can't compare ours to anybody else. It's the journey God will take us on, tailor-made for us. No one can predict when God will remove that sense of his presence. No one can predict when he will restore it. If there are any patterns in this, it's probably true to say that God is often particularly close to newborn Christians. Uh, just like a, a mother would want to hold her child always to let the wee one know uh, of uh, her, the, the mother's loving embrace, so God holds the newborn Christian close. But it's also true to say that some of the the deepest experiences of alienation from God and of separation, they come to very mature and godly Christians. The truth is that God forsakenness, our experience of that can come at any point in our journey. It's taken me a while to take that seriously. I'm sure somebody has probably explained that to me long ago in my past, but as a younger Christian, I didn't get that. I imagined that life with God was going to be a steady upward curve. I thought the curve might wiggle a bit where it'd have a good week or a bad week, but, but generally it would be an experience of me growing significantly over time in all areas. I assumed that I had a growing sense of my maturity in God, a growing sense, hopefully, of personal holiness and a growing sense of his presence. And I suppose I've been re-examining that assumption recently in my life. 
I hope I have been growing in some important ways. I hope I have been maturing and, and will continue for the rest of my life. I hope I have a growing holiness or at least appetite for it. But my sense of God's closeness and presence, that curves all over the place. Much more variable. I can look back on times in my life when God seemed much closer than he did at others. And here's the the hard part. I can look back on my life to times when he seemed much closer than he does now. That takes a little bit of getting our heads around, doesn't it? Our journey with God is mysterious. It's our own. It's unpredictable. It's the one he's mapped out for us. So we're not alone in our times of God forsakenness. We can't predict when these will come on our tailor-made journey with God. The third thing that we say about our sense of God forsakenness flows out of the second. The experience isn't predictable because our life with God really is a relationship. That's what we call this series, Prayer, the Transforming Friendship, trying to learn to see our life with God as a a relationship between him and us. Because it's a, a real relationship, God grants us freedom to go our own way, to clear off for a year and then come back. God gives us that kind of a freedom in our relationship with him But through the prayer of the forsaken, we begin to understand that that God might just take that freedom for himself from time to time. Where he appears to be gone. This sense of God's absence in the end can, can be an unexpected grace. Let me explain why that is. In the very act of hiding himself from us, God slowly weans us off the idea that we're in charge. That if we do the right stuff, then we can automatically know his presence. If I pray the right prayers or sing the right songs or go to the right events or conferences or read the right books, then ta-da, abracadabra, he's there because he has to be because I've done all the right stuff. Turns out God is wild and not our captive after all. By refusing to be a puppet on our string, God remains God and we remain his creatures. We've thought a little here about what it, what it feels like to, to experience God forsakenness and, and why it is that God might allow that experience In a few moments, we're going to come back to think about what we might do in the face of this. What we might do in our times of God forsaken us. We're going to spend really just a very few short moments thinking about what we might do in times of God forsaken us. Is there any kind of prayer for these times? 
Well, there is, uh, and we have already uh, used one of them in our service so far. We can begin with a prayer of complaint. It's a kind of prayer that we hardly recognize. I don't think it makes an awful lot of sense to us, to be honest, as we read it. Our church culture has become so polite and so sanitized. But the Bible's full of this. People given off to God. The best way, I think, to, to get used to praying like this is, is just to lift the old prayer book, lift the Psalms, and read it. When I read the Psalms, these are the ones I find hardest because because I'm just not as honest as these writers. I learned that church was a place where you had to behave yourself. And God was someone who had to be revered. And he is. But he can take the honest outpouring of any human heart. There are a good number of psalms that are classified as psalms of lament. And these these guys really knew how to complain, how to how to tell God how, how things really were. And I think the, the real gift that they are to us is that they give voice to things that we do experience but, but simply can't voice. We just can't do it, most of us. Psalm 42. The psalmist there, he, on the one hand, he expresses his confidence in God and on the other hand, he's exasperated by God's inaction. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why have you forgotten me, Lord? Why, why do you just ignore me? Psalm 88, a mixture of dogged hope and mounting despair. I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Psalm 109, both reverence and disappointment together. O God, whom I praise, do not be silent. Don't be silent. Let me know you're there. These psalms help us to, to begin to learn a new vocabulary, a new emotional vocabulary to, to tell God what's, what's troubling us, what's frustrating us, and to shake our fist at God. So we can pray our complaints A second thing we can do when we're ex experiencing the silence of God is to respond by, by shooting off what one, one writer calls a short dart of longing love. We may not know what's going on, but we keep doing what we know how to do. In the face of silence, we pray. For the voice that we haven't heard in months and years, we continue to listen. And we worship. And we carry out our duties. And here's the thing. What we learned how to do in the times when God was with us, we continue to do in the times when we don't know his presence. We ask and we continue to ask even though there is no answer. We seek and continue to seek even though we haven't found anything or come close to finding anything for a long time. And we knock 
and continue to knock even though that door is locked and bolted. Richard Foster says that this constant longing love produces a firmness of life orientation in us. We learn to love God more than the gifts God brings. Do you get that? Do you see the difference? Loving God is, is a different thing than loving the gifts and the comfort and the warmth that God brings. We learn to love God more than the gifts that God brings. Even when it doesn't feel good to do it, even when it brings us no comfort at all, we continue to love God. That's something that we can do in times of God forsakenness. We can complain at God then. We can send him small arrows of love as we continue to love him without any great reward. And finally, when we're stuck in a time of God forsakenness, we can wait. We don't know how to do that anymore, do we? Everything's instant. Press a button and it's there. Wait. Silent and still. Wait. Attentive and responsive. And we learn to say to ourselves, I don't know what God is doing. I don't even know where God is. But I know that he's out to do me good. We can say this and we can wait. Friends, no one can know why God chooses to take away our sense of his presence. I'd tell you to beware of somebody who has an easy answer to that. Just beware. But this we should know. God's absence is never intended to be permanent. In God's time and in God's way, he will lead us out of, out of whatever desert or barrenness or desertion we've experienced, and he will bring us to a land of milk and of honey. That is his heart. Just now I'm going to close uh, these brief thoughts uh, about prayer that I've shared with you by praying for us all uh, a prayer of Richard Foster's that he offers a, as an example of a, a prayer of the forsaken. After I've prayed that prayer, we're going to have five minutes of silence in which you can pray. For some of you, what I've talked about here this evening is maybe just where you're at. And maybe in these five minutes of silence, you can pray a prayer of complaint or a prayer of love or, or simply wait. If what I've talked about here this evening just isn't striking any sort of a chord with you, pray, pray in those other ways that we talked about at the start, those ways that we learned about over the last weeks, a simple prayer, an ordinary prayer, a prayer for others. 
After about five minutes of prayer, we're going to move unannounced into our closing hymn. So Lindsay will start to play, and that'll be an indicator that we're, we're just about to sing. And I think we'll maybe we'll stand at that point. We're going to sing, Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. I think it qualifies as one of those, those short darts of love. It's a song that just says, Lord, you're great. And it's also an opportunity to bless each other. The second part of that song is actually directed to, to the people around us. If, if more than one of us here is, is knowing a time of God forsakenness, wouldn't it be a lovely thing to, to bless each other in that uh, as we sing that song? So just now I'm going to pray, then five minutes silence, and then unannounced we'll sing our closing song together. Let us pray. God, where are you? What have I done to make you hide from me? Are you playing cat and mouse with me? Or are your purposes larger than my perceptions? I feel alone, lost, forsaken. You're the God who specializes in revealing yourself. You showed yourself to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. When Moses wanted to know what you looked like, you obliged him. Why them and not me? I'm tired of praying tired of asking, tired of waiting, but I'll keep on asking and praying and waiting because I have nowhere else to go. Jesus, you know what it is to feel God forsaken. It's in your name that I offer these words. Amen.